You're listening to Brazen Bookworms, Unrighteous Reading Rebellion, a reformed book snob's journey and musings through all things romance. Some language may not be safe for all ears. Frequent use of sarcasm may occur. You're listening to Brazen Bookworms, Unrighteous Reading Rebellion, a reformed book snob's journey and musings through all things romance. Some language may not be safe for all ears. Frequent use of sarcasm may occur. Super excited that you were able to join us because we know there's a huge time difference. And thank you so much um, for coming on with us. It's exciting. It's very exciting. So we have some questions that we're just going to we're going to roll with it and see what we come up with. We usually have a plan, and then the plan usually goes off the rails somewhere around ten or fifteen minutes in. Uh, (laughs) I'm big on tangents. My I I think when my husband listens to me talking to my friends, like no conversation is ever finished or even sentence. So. That's, yep, the Sounds squirrel mindset. Mm-hmm. Yep, start talking and also, oh, squirrel. Yeah, so <laughs> we're used to that. It's probably style. Uh, so Sarah is Sarah Madison is joining us, and she is also Elodie Hart. And we're actually today visiting about Elodie's books. So I don't know if you have to do something to slip into alter ego Elodie, uh, because the books are very, I don't know if there was a different background you wanted to put on that was a little more dark or, you know, like a sex club. <laughs> hey, you know, I should have brought the wine upstairs, I guess, but um, you could have at least worn a collar a wimple, right? <laughs> I'm not even wearing a crucifix. It's bad. <laughs> That's ooh. So we're <laughs> we're talking about Elodie's books today, and uh, just some quick background on um, who we are. You know, we're the Stalker Sisters. Uh, there's usually four of us, but Susie has a younger one, younger spawn, and had to go get her at school. And uh, we just like to chat about all the books that we love. So we've all read both of your Elodie books. We've read Unfurl and we've read Undulate and we were like talking. It's like, we need to get Sarah to come on and talk about these books because they're amazing and a big departure from the books that you usually do. Uh, So just a real quick background. I found you right before Unfurl came out. So that was actually my first introduction to either Sarah or Elodie was unfurl um that was your first book i'd been following you for like okay stalking you for a while uh because i do i tend to stalk and and watch and listen and then something will like grab my attention and i'm like ooh, what's that shiny things um and unfurl was the shiny thing but actually no i gotta back up it was the cvt it was um before it was like Thanksgiving or Christmas time, the the Sound of Music Captain Von Trapp fanfic. Oh, that's right. That was the first thing I read. Because Ron, you found me through the rest is history, right? Because you were so sweet. Actually, actually, I found you because of um, A Manny for Christmas. (laughs) I I actually started with Manny for Christmas while Tammy was reading, Tammy Beck was reading um, the uh, the rest of history and she was she was like talking that up and I'm like I don't have time I I was between releases for Avery and I'm like I have this much time I'm gonna read Manny <laughs> in love with Max and yeah. she wouldn't stop talking about it so that's like, you what guys I gotta read like this. Mm-hmm. I have to read that too Julie how did you find Sarah slash Elodie um I heard about a mini for Christmas and then I didn't get to it I think it may have been your TikTok that really like pushed me to Ooh. read it 
This book is so spicy that I needed to make up a new pen name so my parents never find it on Amazon. Elodie, she's dirty. My FMC is 22. She's got major Catholic guilt and baggage issues and she's never been with a guy properly. And her older neighbor who's 36 and owns an adults club comes to her aid. Turns out the club has a program called Unfurl, which is all about helping women like her blossom on their own terms. And boy, does she blossom. There's also a lot of priest role play in this. Clearly I have issues. And the epilogue is so long and so rude that I called it my very girthy epic log. I hope you enjoy it and I'll see you in hell. I have a major presence on TikTok. I have no presence on TikTok at all. So <laughs> one person has seen one video. I have like oh. 10 followers under Elodie's name. <laughs> well, it was before it released. Maybe you posted it in your group or page. Or yeah, I probably did. But I was like, that's looking fine. <laughs> so we all came to you different ways, which yeah. is cool. And I'm trying, I must have seen your books in a group. Um, actually, it was probably Avery's group. It might have been Lucy's. Or, or it might have been Lucy's. Yep. It was yeah. one of those. I think Avery did a, Avery very kindly reached out to me. And that was the first time we'd had proper contact. Um, she did a giveaway of Manny for part of her 12 days. <sighs> of yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then Ron wouldn't shut up about it. So, well, I wouldn't shut up about any of them because I, I read true. I read Manny for Christmas and then I read The Rest is History and then I read Unfurled and then I read Undulate and then I read all of the Sorrel Farms. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I love them. I, I, I just, I love it all. That seems to be how we find everybody though. It's like someone will find somebody and read something and then we talk. Um, and it's, it's, we're big enablers of the best, you have to the best read way. as like a yes. reader and an author. It's the best. So thank you. I don't know what the order was. Usually there's a, in this case, I'm pretty sure it was Ron. And then we just kind of dominoed from there. So thank you, Ron. <laughs> thank you, Ron. Well, I thank you. Think I, with me, the, the premise of unfurl was pretty important to me growing up in mm -hmm. a Cons very conservative Christian home though I felt like I felt it I needed to read it so Julie will put a really pretty picture up because it's hard to see it because of my light but she's got magic and she'll put a beautiful picture of this amazing book and I have to admit when I read it I read it as an arc and I read it was I don't want to call it a quick read. It's just, I couldn't stop reading it. So when I got the paper book, it was a lot thicker than I thought it was because I read it so fast because I didn't want to stop reading it. So I was like, oh, this is girthier than I remember. Um, Happy to I, oblige. I, I like <laughs> girthy. So I was <laughs> excited about that. thicker and spicier in a straight line. If you start at Food for Thought and end up at Undulate, it literally goes in a straight line um, of like, like, stroke girth and um it's quite it's quite, it's quite a linear relationship so what do you attribute that to because that's a good question what do you attribute the fact that your books are getting girthier to i don't know about the girthier thing um it's weird i've always had an obsession with pace the first few books i wrote i probably like parents and teachers for example i didn't let a chapter go over 1500 words it's a multiple pov it was like and i wanted it to be like page turner um and i remember being really conscious of that when i was crafting it and then i think i just relaxed into it more maybe and 
weirdly I think I used to spend a lot of time on the descriptions of places and world building which I did a lot of in Sorrel Farm and a lot of in Parents and Teachers because I was writing that series when I was um when we were in lockdown so it was all it was me sating myself on all the places I couldn't go in London all the most glamorous places mm. um but I think I just found a cadence I don't know my my books tend to be like they tend to be around 45 chapters of 50 chapters of 2000 word chapters so it just kind of ends up being close to 100,000 the past few have been so I think the rest is history unfurl and delay they're all been kind of close to 100,000 so it's just um yeah it's just gone that way and I was talking to a friend about it today it's like I keep saying oh I'm 60% through this book because I've written 60,000 words and, and I don't know why I know I'm 60% through I actually have no idea where I am in the book but <laughs> for some reason it's like self-fulfilling like you have an idea where the end mm -hmm. is and where you have to wrap it up by um and I I I'm, I'm but I'm always conscious of it's very it's tempting sometimes to be self-indulgent and just you know write more but you have to try and I guess <laughs> make sure that the chapters serve the um the story or the relationship or the characters no, that's so true. Pace is really important and, and every author creates it differently. So, you know, some authors are, they create the pace through the action, through the sequences and, you know, it's continuous motion. And then some, it's like this really amazing ebb and flow. And last time we had um, Amanda Johnson on and her novels pace completely differently because of the language and the interactions and the relationships pace completely differently. But there's still a beautiful flow because yeah there's nothing worse to me than getting into a book and really into it and all of a sudden it's like can we yeah speed it up because i'm big on pace also as long as it holds my attention yeah then i'm good but yeah i've so the only ones i've read so far other than the cvt fan fiction is undulate unfurl and the rest is history and all three of those like flew like when i, I reached the end i was like wait okay i read all of that in this because i didn't want to stop reading them so those were my late night oh crap it's 3 a.m i have to go to sleep because whether i want to be up at 6 a.m or not my brain will be um and i had trouble putting them down so well done on the pacing because that's thank you that's really nice well. to know thank you <laughs> so on that same note are you a plotter not anymore really i used to be um, so Food for Thought, which was my first one where I didn't really know what I was doing and I thought I was writing women's fiction until I introduced Angus and then I was like, holy crap, I am not writing women's fiction. Um, um, I, um, that one was very heavily plotted using a plotting technique I now cannot remember the name of. Um, and it was a very, it was like a 22 step plot or something. And then I came across, and I didn't know what I was doing from a romance, because I wasn't a romance reader, I was like a chiclet reader, but I didn't know that romance had rules, so I broke all the rules. Like parents and teachers broke all the rules, it has, it's multi-POV, it's third person, it's past tense, there's cheating, <laughs> like all these things I, you know, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do. Um, but then I came across Gwen Hayes, and I guess that changed everything, and she, so her romancing the beat is such a great, um, framework and I think there's always you always have to be careful not to do painting by numbers but at the same time mm -hmm. I really believe that romance readers in particular have a very clear idea in their head of where a story is supposed to go and where the beats are supposed to be so that's a kind of long answer to now I don't plot at all I know that they're going to end up together I normally plan it around one or two scenes I use Scrivener and I just start putting titles of chapters in um, as I go. And 
I, I, I kind of wing it. I have th normally there's there are scenes in my head that I build the entire book around, and for, um, uh, for the book I'm writing at the moment, there's a scene where she shows him her boobs, and I was like, all I know about this book is that she's going to show him her boobs at some point, and that's and then everything else is built around that. I mean, a you know, a literary cornerstone, if you like. Um, unfurl was more of an idea and actually mm. weirdly with unfurl so the, sorry what I'm going to say is I'm now becoming more of a discovery writer and that is a wonderful and scary thing and I find it like the most amazing part of the process like for me it's proof that this doesn't actually come from me it's like I'm taking steps and I'm just trusting the process and I you have to go through it and write it to know the characters well enough to go oh my god of course that's what his issue is or of course that's what's got to happen so with Unfurl, one of the, um, my choice was, do I make my breakup point her dad? Or it, the other obvious thing is a misunderstanding, right? She thinks a sex club owner is never going to be interested in boring old me. And he thinks this amazing young woman on the cusp of her awakening is never going to be interested in settling down. And that just felt, I really don't like misunderstandings. And I really loved the idea of Rafe being all in and stepping up. And I also... We can talk about this, but that book is very close to my heart too, um, Julie. And um, I, I kind of had to write that book, and I've had to go through some stuff in my life. And for me, if she didn't have that conversation with her father, I'd failed because she would still just be pussyfooting around the issue. And so she had to, she had to have her conversation with her dad, and uh, Maddie had to have her Brene Brown moment where she brought up boundaries and she taught this poor woman who has never been taught what a healthy boundary is, how to put them in place. And so that that was kind of how the book came together, but I didn't know it was gonna to come together like that until probably maybe, I don't know, 40, 50% of the way through. God, I love that so much. There's so, okay, there's so much there that I love. So <laughs> they, the, the, the other sisters know, I am not an angsty reader. I am not a fan of the third act breakup. Um, I will read books like that. I do. I edit books like that all the time. And I read books like that all the time. But reading through a book where I kept thinking, oh, crap, they're going to have a misunderstanding. And I'm going to be angry with both of them. And then we're going to have to all three make up with each other. And then it wasn't. That to me was like the, oh, God, my heart is intact and a happy and I am a happy happy reader and I wanted to say all the same things to her dad and I was so happy that the third act breakup was with him yeah. and not them that was it really to me also gave it a different a whole other level of the trust that they were building in each other and it elevated that whole trust factor to look they trust each other enough to talk to each other what a novel concept. So that, <laughs> that to me was. I think it's hard because that. readers say they don't like the third act breakup, but will, is that true? They, nobody likes reading through it, but will they be happy with the ending if you haven't given them something to work for? And it's hard because I don't like, I am, I hate conflict and I hate writing conflict. Um, Manny was the first book I did without a third act breakup. They had a wobble and he had to prove himself. And the final quarter of the book was him proving himself. And I loved that. The rest is history had a third act breakup yes. because I just, it was really fun to write that because um, like, I, I think in my mind, the best, like the best kind of breakup where someone gets their just desserts is um, um, things we never got over by Lucy score. And like, she <sighs> makes Mark suffer so much because he's such a dick. satisfying. <laughs> So I think you can only do it if it's like incredibly satisfying for the reader and this person mm -hmm. needs to get a good 
kick rather than for the sake of it. Yep. Um, and then I also think with Undulate and Unfurl, I'm sorry, Michelle, that no, because no. they were both pretty angsty the whole way through and the characters had a lot going on, like there was no way I was giving Zach and Maddie a breakup. That wasn't, I felt like it, it needed to be a, it's like a consolidation is your other option. And for me, for both stories, that felt like the right thing to do rather than just messing it up for no, for ridiculous yes. reasons. Yes, and that's, okay, so I'm gonna back up a little bit. That's, for me, for the rest of history, that had to happen. Mm. It's when, I think what hurts me more is when it's artificially created through a misunderstanding that doesn't have to happen. Yeah. There's a difference between the third act breakup because someone has to figure their shit out yeah. and the third act breakup because, oh my God, I saw him in a restaurant with someone and he was talking to someone else and I didn't even have enough guts to ask him who she was and oh my God, it was his sister. That's <laughs> like, you know, come on, can we please have <laughs> characters who talk to each other? Um, so for, oh yeah, for the rest is history that they needed that. He needed that. Yeah. He needed that. <laughs> so I, was, I really enjoyed that. That's fun. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right. So we have quotes because one of the things we love to do is quote, pull out our favorite quotes from books. Because for one, I think for us, I like going through when I read an arc, it doesn't have, like, I highlight my quotes, but it never shows, like, the popular ones. So I yeah. I have this thing about six months after a book comes out, I go and grab it from Kindle Unlimited, and I look for the popular quotes to see if the ones that highlighted that I highlighted when I was arc reading. I did that the other day with Unfurl, because there's enough data on it now. It's mm -hmm. so fun doing it. You're like, oh, I'm so happy these people loved the bit that I love. Right. So I love to do that. So we like to pull out quotes. So it's like, oh, I love that one, too. And sometimes... We pull the same quotes, which always makes me happy because it's like, oh, I love that one too. Um, and I know Susie had put hers in, so we'll get hers also. But Julie, I'm going to have you start with yours. Okay, so I think because I went into this book almost cathartically, like I was using it that way, but so much of it is still there. It's like my conscious brain wants to know what all the fuss is about feels angry about having missed out on so much even but my subconscious is still carrying around all the weight and guilt <laughs> and I catch myself making assumptions sometimes without even having having been aware of making them like sex should be an act of love or it should be with a faithful partner or that wanting anything outside of that is dirty wrong or I'm diminishing myself slightly by even considering something like this please so <laughs> I feel like that is like, even as far away as I am from where I was, that still goes to your head that you still have those guilty thoughts. And am I doing this wrong? Or should I be doing this or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, so that's my unfurl quote. Um, so undelete, let's see, I gotta, I, I wrote a couple down, but then I highlighted the one I wanted to choose. But sometimes like right now, when they're being tossed around on terrifyingly stormy sea of grief, they need to know there's a captain at the helm who can steer them into less troubled waters. To, I, not I don't have any grief like that at this point in time in my life, thankfully, but wow, that was beautiful. Mm -hmm. It really was, was beautiful. And then I, I wrote another quote or highlighted another quote. 
Um, at first, I might have been trying to find oblivion through you, to be honest. It was so fucking tempting to just lose myself in you. But lately, I feel more found than lost. And that just, oh, man, I love Zach. Love he and Charlie are my favorite MCs. They're the hardest ones for me to walk away from. Yeah. Those are my two. I had a, so I, I shared with all of you that I lost a friend while I was writing Undulate, but also one of my very, very good girlfriends, her husband uh, took his own life right before, um, right before lockdown. And she's got two kids who are my kids age and she has been to hell and back. And so a lot of what I was writing was, was kind of thinking about how, how I know she's in suicide, a whole other ball game, but um, you know, the stuff that she just has to deal with on a daily basis. And that thing of, you really can't, and she's very open with her kids, but at the same time, you have to be the captain of the ship. Like you, you can't, you cannot have the captain of the ship going, oh my God, I have no idea where we're going or how to avoid this iceberg. Like you, they have to kind of know you're, you've got it, even if they see you sharing your grief. And so for me, that played into a lot of what, you know, and she will not, she will not cross the road without a pedestrian crossing unless it's green. She will, you know, she, she um, she has all these things because she's the last she's the last person standing between her between her kids having a parent and not and so yeah a lot of that over the past few years I think fed into um how I perceived Zach and just, it makes him so much deeper of a character right and, and it's not even the best characters the deepest characters for me are the ones that you can look at and you can you can fill in the blanks without having it shoved in your face just by the little things they do, how they act, the things that they say. Um, you know, I highlighted that same quote as Julie did and then the next line of, they need to know the captain's not too busy losing the fucking plot to be able to navigate is so, it's a realization, you know, it's a recognition of, I know I'm falling apart, but the people around me need to have the faith in me that I can still steer through the things that are happening. So I have to keep shit together somehow. Uh, because like you said, it's the, the recognition and the realization of I'm all that's left between them and nothing. And they've already had their faith in adults' immortality and foolishness completely like blown to pieces. Right. So it's so much harder. Yeah. Oh, God. He is such a deep character and, and Maddie to me was the perfect balance. element for him, the balance, because just so, so many levels of what she had been through, how she had been raised, what her expectations were and what she was willing to do and what she saw in herself to be able to be what he needed was a, a recognition of just a really deep recognition for me that we see people one way and sometimes they even see themselves one way but when they know that they want to be something else how things change so that they can be is is really valid and very deep and very essential to their storyline to their plot and for me it was zach's story it was like it was in the way that you know, unfurl was Belle's awakening. Mm -hmm. This was Zach's awakening. Mm -hmm. But Maddie, you know, the whole premise of romance is that you're better together, right? And Maddie stepped up. Like she, she didn't see herself that way. Um, but he, but she stepped up for him. Yeah. And her personality. I mean, not only did 
Zach needed, like to free himself. But those kids needed someone that was charismatic and attentive to their their concerns or their their sadness or their happiness or what I mean I think she was absolutely needed for those kids it's funny because I think that um I had a very frank conversation with a friend of mine who arc read this who lost her dad age 10 and I didn't even I don't know her she's a recent friend through the book world so I didn't I didn't click that she had that background and she found the book really triggering and she kind of she didn't call me out she called Maddie out and I was like oh well, that was actually me so you should be blaming me but she said you know there's a bit where Maddie's like, I thought the kids would be these little ghosts who are kind of grief stricken, but actually they're just kids. And yeah, they've lost their mum, but you still show them an ice cream cone and they can still get kind of unequivocally excited about it. And she called me out on that. And she said, I think that's, um, you know, I think you're belittling the grief and like, there's no way you never get over it. And she's looking back on it from a lens of only now that I'm an adult, do I realize how deeply messed up I was, how deeply this impacted me. But then we kind of workshopped it together. And I I ended up not changing it that much because she backtracked and and, and so I was thinking about my friend's kids who, you know, not only lost their dad, but lost their dad under such horrific, horrific circumstances. And um, they, you know, I was thinking it was most, it was supposed to be a compliment to them, but to their resilience. They can coexist. Um, you can coexist on different levels of consciousness. And I remember Claire Kingsley putting a post up um, right before her, her launch. Um, it was the Christmas one saying, I am so excited about my launch and I am still so devastated and still in survival mode about my husband and those two can coexist and so that was what I was trying to get across that children are capable of this incredibly pure joy in the moment that maybe we adults are less good at. Um, exactly I when I when I was I don't know okay I can't even remember I, um, my aunt passed in a horrible accident and she had two sons that were just a little bit younger than I was and they passed she passed um the Thursday before the weekend Halloween um and my mom went and got my cousins and we all went trick-or-treating and we all had a good time and they all were sad and we still did the kid thing so when I read that I yes 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 in the midst of all of this you there has to be some continuum that says the joy is still okay that even even as bad as the sorrow is that 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 you teach your children that joy is still okay and that 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 person who's no longer there in their daily life would absolutely want them to still do all the kid things and do all the joy things that they would do in if they if they weren't in the next room you know, so for me, that resonated 100% accurate and, and certainly not disrespectful. So, and Zach's I mean, conflict is, I know that distraction is unhealthy sometimes, but sometimes it's exactly what they need, right? I know we have to work through the grief cycle and not cut it off, but we also have to, um, we have to find a light. And he felt like Maddie was, was giving them what they needed in the moment. Um, I agree. Too. I mean, everybody grieves differently in their time frame not to get over it but just how they can deal with it changes I mean I I hate that that young lady or whoever it was that spoke to you I I hate that she struggled through that and any time someone is triggered it's heartbreaking but at the same time it's um you know it was 
it was Zach's kids there, you know, it was their story. And, and I, I felt Maddie, like it, Maddie I felt like it. She doesn't seem like a mother figure. She's almost like, it's, it's, it's a very crude analogy, but she's almost like Maria von Trapp. It's like the young, cool one comes in and quite frankly, if I'm a bereaved kid, I can still have fun talking to her about Taylor Swift and playing with her makeup bag. Right. Or yes. like the fun aunt. Yes. You know, so I don't she know. I, I felt like it was. Well, and grief is not a linear thing. No. Grief is one of these. You know, it's it's the ball in the box. It's the ball in the box. Over time, the ball gets smaller. It hits the button less often, but something shakes the box and the ball's going to hit the button. And all of a sudden it's going to. My dad's been gone for 20 years and I was an adult when he passed away. And there are still things that will come up where I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go find my corner with some ice cream and and maybe some whiskey because right now the the ball is sitting on the button and I can't move the box. So, you know, but you did a really beautiful job of balancing it where life wasn't perfect for those kids either. There was still the child climbing in the bed and having nightmares and there was still um, the signs. Oh my God, the signs and undulate that I'm, just, I'm getting chills right now talking about it because I believe in those things. There are, I'll be out for a walk and a, a street light will flicker and I'm like, there's my dad, you know, or something will, a song will come on the radio and I'm like, oh, it's my grandfather. You know, something will happen. The signs were one of those things where you built in this element of the rise and fall. So the, the other element of undulation of the cycle of grief where it just kind of moves um, and it's, there's, there's, there's crests and troughs and certain things will trigger and some things will make you really happy and some things will make you turtle. Um, but there was no, I never felt that there was ever an element of sweeping mm -hmm. it under the rug, diminishing it, belittling it, because everybody's going to have a different reaction, plain and simple, mm -hmm. depending on how grief comes into your life and how you, you know, experience loss, it's going to change. But I loved how Maddie was able to come in and she kind of pulled them, her light pulled yeah. them towards her. So and it's that was an analogy I worked work. a lot. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but it was the easiest way to explain, just that levity. Right? Yes. And it was beautiful because she didn't have that background. No. Her background was so completely different from his and from the kids that it really allowed her to bring in a very different element of um, how people perceive life. You know, and how people was strong enough. It. You know, yeah. that time when he came crawling in the next morning after that nightmare, and 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 she was like, "I've got you." Like, you don't have this. Is not a quid pro quo situation. Like, I'm fine. Let me take this. Let me bear this with you. Mm -hmm. God, I love that, Ron. You had some really so, good quotes. Oh, I, go well, I did. I'm, I'm first. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do Susie's because hers are short. Mine's short. Well, the my my first one is short. Um, <laughs> Su Susie's are Susie's is. His reactions are not your responsibility and it's not your job to pick up the pieces. That's one of the popular quotes on the quint on the quotes yeah. on the Kindle. Yep. The other is, and I knew that this was going to be one of her favorites <laughs> because it's one of mine too. Um, four mouths four mouths on your body are better than one. Eight hands are better than two. <laughs> yes. So just oh, math. Mine. Um mine mine That was um, also one of the Kindle quotes. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, I love mine it. comes comes and and I could have quoted the entire scene because I adored it. Um, when Rafe and um, Bell's dad are fighting and he, and <laughs> they're on their way out out and he says we're going. He tells Daddy, 
when you're cooled the fuck off and you're ready to apologize for your despicable words, maybe she'll listen. Maybe if you're. And I thought every little girl wants somebody to say that to somebody who's been mean to them. I wanted somebody to say that to somebody who is mean to me. And I thought that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. The one from Undulate is long. And I apologize. Well, I don't apologize because it's an awesome quote. Um, and it actually is, is um, early in the book. And it starts, I'm going to just give Zach's lines. It says, I don't know what the slaves get out of it. Like people like Maddie, it's a lot to ask. Um, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> hey, I say, and he manages to meet my, my eyes. This isn't me taking one for the team. This is literally my ultimate fantasy. I joined this place so I could be, be used in all the best ways. I want to be up there for the, uh, on that stage for someone to claim me as their prize. And then I want them to take everything from me and to get their money's worth. It's such a turn on for me. I want some predatory hungry fucker to claim me and strip me and mark me and dominate me and work me really, really hard. So don't you worry about me. <laughs> and I thought, yes, go Maddie. <laughs> I love that she owns what she wants. That is yeah. so key to Maddie's character that she owns what who she is and what she wants. The yeah. power in that. But I, I think that it's I think it's essential for for the dynamic between them too. To say, look. I, I, yeah, I think you're hot and, and all of the things, but you can't think of me as a wilting flower, you know, and I, I and I think that that sets up that dynamic of that, that gets them going right from the beginning. And she's kind fun. of like, she sees what it does to him, him, but she doesn't quite know like how much of an effect it has on yeah. him when she says that, because I think I say something like, oh, there's a look on his face and it's not kind of, it, it's not horror, mm-hmm. it's not like judgment, it's something else, and it's clearly he's just like yeah. as, if he, or as if he can't believe it mm-hmm. or, as if he can't believe I just admitted to all of that or he can't allow himself to believe I mean it yep <laughs> I love that so much it's I think fun. the whole I think through the whole book I was like I want to be Maddie when I grow up yeah. <laughs> have that free spirit and- it was a lot of fun hey. to write because I am Belle and I was brought up yes and like, um, and I am still fighting Belle's battles. And um, I put at the end of my author's note, but I remember once on a Goop podcast, there was a sexpert, um, Peggy something. And she was saying to Gwyneth, you know, I see all these, I see girls these days and everyone is taught how to be sexy. And girls at a scarily young age are taught how to be sexy and be sex objects. And you're just not taught how to be sexual. And for me that, like, I always remembered that quote. And so that was kind of what I wanted to achieve with Maddie. What if she kind of came to be this way just from having a healthy upbringing and mm-hmm. um and working out it again it comes down to it's there are you know, it's the same theme as the previous book but they are it's about owning taking ownership of your whole belief system and your body and everything else and and no exceptions exactly because we're taught to be sexual for other people yeah and we're taught we're taught to be sexy for other people and sexual is a personal thing like when you learn how to be your own person, that's learning how to be sexually comfortable. But when you are being sexy, that's for someone else. Yeah. And I think there's that deep ownership of the difference there of that. And I saw that so much in both books. It was, and there's such different characters. 
you know, that's to me, the greatest thing with both of these books is how Belle and Maddie are such different characters and they show these two different sides, but ultimately they both want very similar things and how two people who are so vastly different, I mean, they're best friends and they're so different and they want the same things. They want that control of themselves and they want investment in themselves and they want to learn how to be independent and but they reach it such different ways i kind of think it gives hope to people who were like that'll never happen to me <laughs> they think that those i can i think those themes resonate though and i and, and i think that um readers who who wouldn't admit necessarily to having you know, like if you said hey gee you know what do you think that they wouldn't necessarily admit that that was part of their own journey to come to that place of being comfortable in their own skin but at the same time because it, it's you, you've put it in a world that seems so outlandish for some people not for me because i'm like i am who i am but <laughs> <laughs> someday we'll talk about all of the reasons <laughs> I have a lot of questions for you, Ron. <laughs> Not online. <laughs> but I think that, that when when readers come to it and they've got all of this repressed stuff that they wouldn't ever admit because of all of the reasons, I mean, all of the reasons, we all have reasons, but you've put it in a world that seems just fairy tale enough, just unbelievable enough that they can try it on. And, and consider what it would be like to take just a little bit more ownership of their own autonomy. And that's, that, for me, that resonates. And, and it resonated in both of the books. And, and um, you know, that the, the language is amazing and all, and I gush in all of my reviews because I, I truly love the framework, but to give that little bit of, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, no, I think we know agency yeah. agency yes. you give just mm -hmm. a little bit of agency to those ideas yeah. that in a place where other people wouldn't necessarily be able to feel empowered to that I had two quotes from unfurl that keep resonating with me and it goes towards this topic and the first one is there's nothing an innocent craves more than the assurance of being in safe hands not capable hands safe hands because that is a very different thing. Somebody can be very capable and make you feel very unsafe. And that concept of being safe as you explore and you unfurl is so key. And the other one was, why should we not attempt to uncover a greater meaning in life than the one we have been served up to us by polite society? I think she found that through Rafe because of not because of the club he owns, not because of his background in whatever in education, but because of who he was to her, because he was able to keep her safe, make her feel safe while she discovered all these things about herself. And that was such a key for me was not so much the, oh, look how much he's teaching her and look how much she's learning, but look how safe she feels while she's doing all of this because she's got Belle's got stuff to overcome she's got a lot in that history and that background and moving through that could have been really dangerous and really detrimental in the wrong hands 
They could have been capable hands, but would they have been safe? I think that's why the aftercare scene is actually my favorite scene. Yes. The book. That and, yes. the, and the Maddie Boundaries, Renee Brown pep talk. But um, that scene wasn't even going to be in there because it was um, it was more going to be like they hooked up, whatever, and then it, they took the action through to the shower. But um, given that I am basically Belle, I, I, it, it's funny that you say that Rafe's a safe pair of hands because I think until then he was capable and... And it was almost like he didn't read the room. Like he was like, we have these boundaries. I was just going to walk away because that's the protocol. We don't blur lines. And even though I wanted you since the second I saw you. And it's fun because she needs aftercare, but she doesn't know how to articulate it. And she thinks it's a failing on her part. And she's slut shaming herself. Yep. And this guy's just, you know, done whatever all over all over her. And he's just <laughs> left her because he's clueless. And, um, and it's not until she, he sees her reaction that he's kind of startled into action and then he handles it beautifully and yeah. it gives them both the freedom to gives her the freedom to trust him and it gives him the freedom to tell her how he feels and i think ironically he's been holding back because he doesn't want to freak her out but she needed to hear that and so that's when the entire dynamic changes so i loved writing that because i loved writing the bit where she's like he's such an idiot he's behaving like he's he was all over me and now he's behaving like he's got a clipboard and i'm being the stupid child but he's so hot and i it's so unfair and i'm this kind of I have no idea what I'm doing here and I'm this stupid innocent virgin who doesn't know how to be cool and play the game and he's besotted with her and is trying to hold back and so I I loved I loved writing that scene and that's that safety that's that growth for both of them that's the turning point yeah you said it's for me too it was that turning point up. of yep oh here we go here's the development of the real relationship here is when things are going to start to become the personal side of it the and also more equal because i think she thought yes. it was very unequal he was the one who got to bugger off afterwards and go and do god knows what with whoever in the club and she just felt very like ring fenced i think yeah that was a great scene i do love and that scene more and then the one i had from undulate i just lost on my screen hold on there it is my insistence on beating myself up as he puts it for missing standards to which no one else holds me accountable I kind of felt like you were talking to me. <laughs> Is that Zach? Um, no, that's Maddie talking about how he is saying to her that, let me see if I can actually oh, yeah. find the story. Because there's the, what goes around it is really key, but it's, oh, let me see if I can find it. All right. Talk about something else while I find this, because I have to find it now. I, I know, I think we've talked, we've talked about it, but I'm going to ask because not everybody knows. Um, how did you make the decision to to put alchemy in name in a different pen name? Um, yeah. So it was it was a very not a clear cut decision, and I think it's been the right decision from a kind of from for my readers, but it's not the like easiest decision commercially. Um, I I have this um, kind of idea about how you need to stay in your lane and your readers need to know what they're getting from you. And I knew that this would be a departure in terms of spice level and also tone. I wanted it to have a different tone. I was very, there are authors like, um, you know, Sierra Simone, who I will fangirl over for the rest of my life. And, and there's a lot of that kind of darker romance um, is very, it's very zeitgeisty and it's very popular and it's all over book talk and it's all over the top of the charts. And I kind of, I love that. And I wanted to know if I could, if I could do it, if I had it in me. And 
the pen name was born to make sure that none of my readers felt violated because they were expecting food for thought and they got like an orgy. So <laughs> that was kind of the, that was the most basic um, thing. Also, because Unfurl, I knew it was going to be like incredibly spicy, incredibly kinky, very far out of my comfort zone and incredibly anti-Catholic. I, you know, my mum reads my books like I couldn't. My mum knows I've written this and she knows um, that I have a different pen and she knows what they are. But it means that Amazon was never going to serve them up to people in my family. And then they were automatically going to one click them thinking it was my name. Um, I also couldn't afford to do a totally anonymous pen name because I'm I'm just not established enough as a writer to start a new pen name from scratch without leveraging any of my bookish community. And what was interesting was that when I talked to my readers about it, everyone got very excited about the book. And then obviously my, my reader group was very much behind me and they were on the journey with me. And then when I launched it for my ARC team, I gave everyone the opportunity to opt in or opt out. And I think everyone but maybe two or three people opted in. And then those two or three people ended up either changing their mind or not doing the arc, but reading it and then coming onto the underlay arc. So I was very interested in how elastic my readership was in terms of enjoying both um, both genres. And it's not a name to hide behind. You know, I'm, I'm very open that it's my mm -hmm. name, but it is interesting because it is a different persona. And I do feel like a different person when I'm writing it. And I'm writing a Sarah Madison book at the moment. And after two alchemy books it's really weird to be writing a kind of light frothy <laughs> rom-com and um and so for me I think it helps to delineate in my mind what I'm trying to achieve and it, and I can kind of get into the style um the style of Elodie and I just I really enjoyed one thing I very explicitly wanted to do with that pen name was not just pink and spice but also um also to just have this kind of, it's very decadent. You know, you just mentioned about how it's in a world that's slightly apart. Like I just wanted it to be incredibly grown up and luxurious and aspirational. And you know, I wanted everyone to be wealthy and glamorous. And, and I all, I've always had this theme in all my books that all my characters are successful and wealthy and they're all type A. And they all kind of live in these gilded cages where they have issues and they're all rich people issues, but they're still issues. And I, I really find it fun to write behind scenes of people who seem to have charmed lives. Um, so yeah, for me, I I really, I really, really enjoyed writing it. Um, I don't think I expected each book to go as far as they did in terms of the spice or the um, the angst, but they kind of took on lives of their own. Um, and I'm kind of merging a few of your questions together, but one thing I just loved about writing the books was normally with my books, I'm trying to calibrate and make sure I've achieved the right tone. And with these guys, I was just like, you know, I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell. But it was so much fun <laughs> to just write the most like, out like the epilogue of Unfurl. You know, I don't know where the hell that came from, the, the six priests and a bishop. Like, I'm still shocked by myself, but um, it was so much fun. And I, I'm not sure I would have necessarily been, felt comfortable doing that under my own name. So there is a, there's a very tenuous kind of shield I think it provides or it provides me with the opportunity to get out of myself and get into something into another mindset so um what's your favorite scene of unfurl and undulate um so with unfurl it's the um the aftercare scene after the kind of kinky priest scene she's with him and Cal um and then I also loved the kind of I, I loved the aftermath of her dad um one of the questions I ask myself as an author, and I stole this from, I think, K.M. Wyland or someone is, 
what are the 10 worst, you know, what are the worst things that could happen to this character? And for me, the worst thing that could have happened to Belle was that her dad walked in on them like in the middle of having sex, but I wasn't going to do that to them. But I, it, the worst thing is that her dad walks in and, you know, rape butt naked. And, um, and a tea towel. Yeah, tea <laughs> towel. <laughs> that was so great. <laughs> and, and then the Maddie kind of opportunity. It's so fun, you know, it's so fun having a character be a mouthpiece for some of the life lessons that you feel you've come across too late and to try and spell out, you know, the stuff that your, your character just needs to have drilled into them. Um, also, weirdly, I, I mean, I do write linear, linearly, but actually, the I said I normally base books around a scene, but for me, Unfurl started with the first page of Unfurl was the first idea for Unfurl. I wrote those first page or two where, just a page where Maddie's, or um, Belle's just saying like, I want a bite of the apple. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the craving. I'm sick of the push pull of temptation and terror. I just want a bite of the apple. And that was what I wrote. And that kind of formed the whole, the whole book came out of, came out of that. Um, I love that. I did find the quote and I was thinking of two different quotes yeah. in my head. So <clears throat> yes, that one is the one that I read is the one where Zach is talking about what his therapist told him and it's him. He's at the um, session with his therapist and his therapist says um, he's, Perping on this insistence on beating himself up for missing standards to which no one else holds him accountable. And I kind of do that every day. Um, <laughs> this dog said, yeah, Julie's laughing at me and she knows <laughs> <laughs> that resonated with me because I was like, oh, um, mm. we're just going to ignore the fact. Like no that one cares. Newsflash, <laughs> no one cares. Yeah. Just you. Just me. I know. Uh, but, you know, it made him very human which to me was looking at this because he seems like he's, you know, he's got it all together, but he doesn't. And it, it resonated. So that and one was like, he should actually just be surviving. He should just right. be putting on, putting on. But for him, and I'm very like this, it's a slippery slope. Yes. It's like suddenly in his eyes, suddenly he's going to be turning around, eat, watching daytime, you know, he's lying in a darkened room while his kids eat out of cereal boxes. Like that's for him. If he doesn't hold everything together like this, it's all just going to, and, I, and if, can, I can resonate with that. And if people see him falling apart, then their opinion of him will change. And people might not ask him to, you know, he's supposed to be the, the financial center of this business. And if he can't even keep the shit together to buy groceries, then what are they going to think of him with? You know, so there's these levels of him losing his shit and then realizing, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I am doing that to myself. And it dovetailed at the end with the scene with the one I was thinking of originally was Maddie when the his um Zach's wife who's passed away's best friend they're at oh, the party oh. thank you right yeah. and she has this moment of am I trying to hold myself to the standards they're trying to place on me because that's not who I am. And I have to be strong for who I am and understand that Zach knows that this is me, you yeah. know, and, and recognizing that element of he loves me and he's with me for who I am, not for who yeah. someone else wants me to see me as to fit into his little box. You know, it was, that was really resonant because how many times do we try to, to fit ourselves into a, a space that we, we know we belong in, but we think we need to, belong in a different way yeah and it, it's it was 
really relevant to see that because that see that to me is in the novel where everything falls apart and she runs from the house in tears because she'll never be good enough and i loved seeing maddie say wait a minute the hell and then give francis exactly what <laughs> francis needed um which i do like that line <laughs> yeah i mean it was beautiful so i was like Yay, go you. So that made but me feel But it didn't, better. you know, she wasn't unscathed. She went off and she puked and then she started acting out and going, right, if he likes me because I'm a, you know, he thinks of me as this like little sex kitten, then I'm going to show him sex kitten and I'm just going to ha ham, it, ham it up. Um, so that was her kind of acting out and he just was not having any of it. Exactly. And that was that conversation where it was like, that okay. Was, that was as near as we got to the three quarter breakup because I yes. wasn't do that to him. But they talked. Oh my gosh. Well, they did other things too, um, <laughs> because this is—I um, think I said it in the unfurl um, review, and I think Ron did also. It skirts the edges of erotica. Um, yeah. Please books. send that to Amazon. And <laughs> I know, but that's what it's like. It's—it's it's right on the edges of that, but it's not. And if people who read, because I—I know I read erotica. Ron reads erotica. I don't, Julie. You. Mm -hmm. I pretty much read anything. Anything, right. So, but there is a difference and it's not erotica, but it has those beautiful elements of ownership and uh, the thrill and the stepping out of the box that yeah. go with a lot of that. I have my, I have my review pulled up. So what I said about that, just <laughs> so that I can clarify. But was Undelay is a bold, sensual, sexual journey taken on the rails of deep emotions. And it's those deep emotions that anchor it firmly in the realm of romance rather than that of erotica. Mm -hmm. yep. And I think you called Unfurl cozy porn. Yeah, great name. <laughs> I did say that it was cozy porn. Fantastic. I'll take that. Okay, I saw that and I went, oh, I think, yeah. I mean, I don't want to erotica for advertising reasons, obviously, um, because the bots will not be happy with that. But I think, no. I don't mind how, I don't mind how dirty it gets, as long as there's a reason for it. And yes. it's, it's elevated and I wanted to try and elevate, I guess that when I was trying to describe what I was trying to achieve, the, the feel of things I was trying to achieve through Elodie, it's that elevated, everything's elevated. The sex yes. is a, it, the sex is a um, mechanism for like elevated feelings and big emotions and big life lessons and all of those mm -hmm. other things. Um, yes. And then the whole, backdrop is elevated because everyone's stinking rich and very glamorous and you know and 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 you do that really well and the the whole cozy point porn thing came because they mis mislocated you on uh google oh, yeah. and, <laughs> that was so funny that and so funny. and all of your and your your listing got got hooked to a cozy cozy mystery that was so funny. Yes. <laughs> I've stopped caring. I've, I've stopped caring about that particular. So that's the reason I. I re that's the reason Very I good. made the joke of make it calling it uh, cozy porn. Well, I think perfect. I think it's also a compliment because the, the the thing to try and achieve with these things is you want to keep the balance between heat and heart, and you don't. And I can't mm -hmm. really do heat without the heart. Like it just it doesn't exactly. do it for me. Um, I I need that kind of gooey bit as well as the mm -hmm. really hot bit. Um, yeah. That's what makes it so emotional too, is that deep emotional element that comes with it where there's a purpose for it. Um, it's, okay, there's the squirrels in the brain. So I know you like musicals, I'm into musicals also. And okay, so this is the weirdest thing. It, when I read certain books and I'm reading 
books like this where everything is so intertwined. It's like you think of the musicals of of old, I say of old, guys and dolls. We're going to talk, 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 and we're going to sing. And we're going to talk, 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 and we're going to sing. And the we're musicals- We're going to burst into song. Right. And the musicals of today, everything is interwoven. It's yeah. like they're talking, they're having a conversation. It morphs into song. There's more things that go. And there's never a breaking point where you're like, oh, oh, they're going to sing again. Oh, oh they're going to have sex again. Everything was so interwoven where it was part <laughs> okay. of- the, 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 it was an integral part of the story and woven into it so perfectly that it wasn't like a, okay, we're going to stand and face each other and strip our clothes off and now the, the thing's going to happen. Everything wove itself together. So it's kind of like a modern musical for me where it really <laughs> <laughs> has an element. So thank you. This, this is me coming off of, you know, musical theater last night. So but that's <laughs> everything is so woven together. It's beautiful. I'm catching up on the questions. We were doing favorite scenes. So I did unfurl. So did you want to know yes. my undulate favorite? Yes, scene? please. Um, uh-huh. So it's two, it's two chapters um, back to back. It's, um, I think it was probably, I can't really remember how the book formed in my head, but I think it was probably like the breaking point. So when he randomly goes down on her in, um, um, in the club. The club. Um, when he's just like, there's nothing hotter than a guy who's trying to hold the whole world together, just breaking, being broken and being unleashed. And I love that. Um, and then the, and then drunk Zach. So the one after him where he's just being so ridiculous and he's so cute. And you suddenly realize that he realizes that she doesn't actually know, you know, what's happened. Um, and, and his defenses are down and he's just adorable. Um, and I love that. I was actually worried about the club scene. I was I was worried if what he did was kind of uncool. I thought it was really hot, but I didn't know if people would come for me and be like, that's not cool what he did. Um, you know, she was kind of, she was there and she was, you know, ready for anything. But, um, I, you know, he abused her trust and I was worried that people would come for me and so far nobody has. But um, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a blurred line for me. But, um, well, she calls him out a little bit on that too. Yeah, 100%. And that I think... I wouldn't call you out on it anyway, because the situation that she was in, that's exactly what she was expecting. It was kind of, yeah. Um, well, and she, she called him out on it. So yes. a reader and doesn't actually, need to. Yes. And actually he was surprised because she called him out on it, but then she was like, you should have asked me. And he's like, well, I didn't, cause I knew you'd say no. And she was like, well, actually I wouldn't have said no. So it was, it was the, um, it was the fact yeah. that he, you know, he, he, uh, he thought it would be better to seek forgiveness than ask permission um which probably wasn't his finest moment but i i loved the fact that he was just so like insane you know he kind of just went mm -hmm. into full because he went into that room and he was so judgmental and he was like how can people do this this is so base like he's such an intellectual snob and he's also a kind of emotional snob and he's like yeah. my feelings at the moment are very lofty and they're worthy and i've lost my wife and then you've got all these people just like shagging left right and center and how can they do this they're like animals and then he kind of finds himself descending quote unquote to that level and um and then I, I write, I think one of the kind of, one of my favorite lines is something like, you know, I now know this to be true. Um, the basest, what is it like? The basest pleasures of the flesh can like overcome the most elevated emotions of the heart. And for him, the fact that it's basically oblivion and it's kind of like therapy is a total um, um, yeah. revelation for him. And it's kind of like, he thinks he's, he's way above that. He judges, he's judgmental, you know, he's got that yeah. category, he's judgmental and, and he has to reevaluate um, everything he knows to be true. And I, I, I really find that fun. 
But I think for me, oh, sorry, Ron, go ahead. No, I I think that that she calls him on it, makes it valid. I mean, makes it makes it an important component of the story because they had to have that. Yeah, I said I was up for anything and there's still a. Mm -hmm. You still have to respect me. Right, right. But Rita's don't have to call you out on it because she called him out on it for one. Yeah. But I also, I think it lends, it lends a really interesting element to him because it was her. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know if he would have, I don't think Zach would have done that with anybody else. I think it happened because it was her. And she's so surprised that. when he tells her that. He's like, I didn't yes. go in there randomly. Like it was you, you were driving me crazy. Like with that yep. dress and the tassels. And she's like, oh, I, you know. She mm-hmm. said you could have done it with someone else, and he's like, "No, no, no, that it was you or no one." Right, exactly. So it wasn't like he was just up for it. It wasn't like a free for all. It was her, and it goes to I think his feelings towards her, that possessiveness and that want and that need. So and it made she, a lot of sense for me. She kind of had thrown down the gauntlet right in the beginning with the with the quote that I quoted was that you know yeah. this is what I want. This is exactly what Give I want. Mm-hmm. Give it to me. Yeah, <laughs> but and he did. Don't, don't be shady about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just tell me. So what was the most difficult part of each of the books for you to write? So for me in Unfurl, it was undoubtedly when, when her dad, having to confront her dad. And um, it was interesting writing it because I think I mentioned this in the reader group a few times, but when I was writing it, I almost had like a physical reaction. I felt like I had a virus. I was shaking. I was headachy. I felt sick. It was like I was detoxifying and I felt um, I had to have a kind of confrontation in my own personal life over something not remotely as kinky or interesting as that, but over something else where I needed to draw a line on the sand where nothing else had been, where something had not been drawn. And it was, I told you I'm a good girl. I don't confront people. I stay quiet and I, I, I people please. And for me, like doing like, you know, your entire nervous system like gets shot to hell when you have to do that. And so that was the most difficult thing to write um and having to confront her dad afterwards just absolutely terrifying um and then once I'd written it it was like I was a new woman it was weird it was like therapy it was like I'd shed layers um it was it was really um and I'm glad I you know dug deep and I feel kind of bad commercializing something that um you know, it was a difficult, but then at the same time, there's also something very satisfying about that as well. Um, and I've, I've had lots of, I've had lots of feedback from, from readers and from people who didn't read my books before who found it and who said, thank you. I needed this. It's like therapy. I, I felt like I was alone. I felt like I was a freak. I, um, you know, a lot of people have kind of come out of the woodwork and, and, and said this, and it just makes me really pissed off that so many of us have had this shared experience. Um, but, I'm really glad I wrote it and I, I don't think it would have had the same impact if I hadn't done the work. It was, it was really hard. Um, that was the hardest I've ever had to dig for a book. And then Undulate was supposed to be a kind of like hot widower and then my friend died and, um, and that was incredibly hard because again, I felt guilty. I felt like I was kind of using something as a literary mechanism when it was just very real and very raw and not remotely sexy. Nothing about the situation of you're losing your spouse is, you know, any it's just it's very um it's it's awful and so I found um I found just the process of writing of writing that um really hard and I think one of the hardest chapters to write was when um 
Nancy has her nightmare and Zach is just lying awake in the middle of the night. And I know this from my friend who lost her husband, you know, I don't think that was four years. I don't think she's had a single night alone in her bed since. And um, that just kind of, again, I knew it had to be done, but just writing it was just like, it just felt like walking through mud. It was so horrible. And just thinking like there is nothing worse than being alone at 3 a.m. with grief-stricken kids and feeling like you are totally alone in the world and nothing makes sense and there is no end to their pain and it's not linear. You don't know if it's going to be worse the next day or it's and so it was just really it was really depressing. Um, so yeah, that was hard. <laughs> that was hard too. Um, but I loved. Out of that came like the message of the book is that there is hope for everyone and that death is not the end and I believe in signs too and I think you know I've told all of you guys this but the the bit at the end where the um where the, the girls football team sing um uh the Backstreet Boys that is exactly what happened a week after my friend passed you know on the walk home from school so um it's fun to write about these kind of full circle moments in life um mm -hmm. but again I don't know what that book would have been if I if I hadn't lost fee I think I think it would have maybe maybe it would have dug slightly less deep and it would have had maybe slightly less I don't know heart I don't know so I'm I'm grateful that it kind of again out of the rawness came something but um but yeah it was it was emotionally draining but it when made it but it made the book real yes yeah those I, pieces were real you felt mm -hmm. it yeah. as a reader I I know that we both share an, an affinity for Brene Yes, we do. And, I know. And, I as I, and, and as I as I was reading it, it, well, in both books, it you know we've talked about that that it, it was therapeutic and that that you know it it feels like you're working your stuff out through through the story, but you're also okay making it okay for other people to do that, and it, and it really does have that undertone of of Brene Brown. I'm gonna own my stuff. I don't like vulnerability you know, but I'm still going to own it. Yeah. And I think that that's important. And I think that that's why your crossover readers, the the readers who are, are solidly Sarah Madison reading readers are making that leap easily because you have that, that same heart, even though it's exponentially hotter and it's dealing with, with darker, potentially darker themes. I think that there's a, a commonality there that you make people be feel seen yes. and you make it okay for them to feel what they feel where they feel it and that's that's a gift and um i i, I for all of all of your feeling bad about therapy on the page keep doing it thank you that's such a lovely <laughs> thing for you to say thank you there, there's something very genuine in the writing when you allow yourself to write the book that is that, that you really want to write rather than the, the, the book that's in front of you, when yeah. you allow yourself to deep dive into it and just give yourself permission and leeway to write it, even if it's not what you originally intended it to be, it comes across as so much more genuine and authentic and the connections that come from a book that you allow yourself to write, there's no substitute for that as a reader for me. You can tell when something is on the page that that's genuine and heartfelt and not contrived. That's truly authentic. There's a such a deeper connection with the words and the characters in the story. 
when it's that authentic and you i can right. tell and it's it's a hard place to be but you nailed I it appreciate permission permission is the perfect word that's what i was trying to think of when i was talking about it being liberating i had to give myself permission i and again it comes back to the whole thing around sex and everything else no one's ever given me permission to do anything and you have to work out that nobody's ever going to give you permission you are a you are the only person who needs to give you yes. permission for all of this stuff and it's kind of like you have Stockholm syndrome after it. It's like the cage is open, but you have no idea. And you're in a cage of your own making. And so at the end of the day, you are allowed to put those words on the page. And I love that you said that. And I think I've loved that process with both those books. Once you get over yourself and you give yourself permission to just roll with what it, what it is you're feeling, it's incredibly, it's actually quite exhilarating in a, in a weird way. But I think that, 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 you give your readers permission too. I mean, by by yeah. owning it yourself, you're giving your readers permission, it, and that keeps it from being salacious. I mean, I, and you're I think... normalizing it. I think that's really important. I think I had in my upbringing so little normalization of anything. Nothing was normalized. I grew up in mm -hmm. in, well, in Ireland in the 80s, where 98 percent of the population was practicing Catholic, and divorce was illegal. There was no one who wasn't white. There was no one who wasn't Catholic. Like you, nothing else is normalized. Um, so it's having to, so I, I'm a really big believer for my kids as well. And just in, in the more you can normalize anything and, and a, particularly in mental health, um, if you can normalize stuff for people, that's half the battle. It's, it's, I've got these symptoms or I'm having these struggles and that's really awful in itself, but it's normal. And that takes away half of the worry that I'm, yep. you know, yep. um, I'm not a total freak. People need permission. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. People need permission to drop the stigmas. Yeah. And it's hard to drop a stigma if it's all you ever see. But the minute you see other people embracing something as being normal, that's when you can kind of let go of that. And I think you did a phenomenal job of giving people permission to drop the stigma, giving people permission to embrace things that they've always felt, but were always told were wrong, that needed to be hidden. And you did it just by giving yourself permission to dive into what you were feeling and put it on the page. That's huge. But I think oh, for you. me, I yeah. feel like it allowed me to know I'm not alone and that the feelings that I have yes. yeah. or how I was raised I'm not alone. There's other people that feel the same way that I do. And you're not, your, your refusal or your decision to reject what you were taught as fact, which is actually just a, a, a culture or an opinion that you are not, it's not a failure. Like I have not, I'm not a failed Catholic. I am a recovering Catholic. And, and it feels like failure because if you're only served up one worldview and it's mm -hmm. opt in or opt out and you don't even know you're not allowed to opt in and you, I opted out of my beliefs long before I gave myself permission to opt out or knew it was okay. So it felt like it was a lapse. You know, the words lapse, you're a lapsed Catholic. You couldn't hack it. You didn't have the faith or you didn't have the, you know, the spine. Instead of, hey, there's so many belief systems out there and here's one slightly random and over-engineered one. <laughs> um, and, and it's an opinion. Of it. And um, yeah, it, it's so messed up. And it's, it's a lot of us are in our, you know, 40s and 50s, and we're only working it out now. And, and even if we know it intellectually, it takes a lot longer for it to sink in. So it's I'm still working on it. So and it's does. always in that subconscious, like, and it, yeah. 
That's what Bell said, right? It's always in your subconscious. You might know it intellectually, but you're still going to slut shame yourself or judge yourself or judge other people. Um, Second guess. If it's right or wrong. And if if it's wrong, then someone else, if you're right, then someone else must be wrong for doing what they're doing. Uh, Yes. It's so... um, and then it's so it's like a full what's it called is it a false binary is that the phrase it's like um yeah it's not actually a binary no. situation but you make it into one. you do because there's right and wrong we've always been taught right and wrong there's no us and them us and them right there's no gray there's no yeah. in-between yeah. space and uh, i i love that so many of us, of us are finally finding that in-between space but there's still so much pull from both sides you know and it's giving yourself again that permission to be in that gray space but also knowing that there's going to be times when you're going to be dragged one way or the other and that it's okay too because we're still recovering forever mm-hmm. um, and it's okay to change your mind it's okay to yes you know um it's, it's fluid. Like you get told for years that eggs are bad for you and then you realize eggs are actually good for you it's okay to change your mind it's not weakness it's not being fickle right. mm-hmm. you, you move with the times and you read new information and you you make your decisions based on that. When we have new information, we can make different decisions. When we know better, we do better. When we have a full picture of something. Yeah. You, you, if you're always given five colors to paint with, that's all you know. And then somebody gives you this palette of 80 colors and you're like, holy crap, there's like 30 shades of blue. So, you know, it gives you a different, a different view of mm-hmm. how you can create things around you when you're given more to work with. So we are like, wait, okay. It's like 220. So, okay. So we have like two more questions. Um, One more question and our 10 randoms. What's next? So what's next for Elodie and what's on the the horizon? So next up is a Sarah Madison book um, called The Reluctant Billionaire. So I mentioned that like with my Love in London series with parents and teachers and stuff, it wasn't, it was not a planned series. So I kind of it, it wasn't consistent. This is going to be a consistent series. Um, it's not all planned out. Like, I don't know what all the books are going to be because I just can't work like that. Um, but um, it's going to be out. The first one's going to be out in June and it kind of subverts the billionaire trope because he is from a it. very poor background and he is very, he's got a lot of issues around money. He's he Money is to him what sex is to Belle, basically. Um, if she was like a hooker, <laughs> but have those two. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's kind of subverted and the FMC is fabulous and she's like a totally kind of badass businesswoman who just embraces her fabulousness and has no issues around money. And so it's it's very fun. Um, that's coming out in June and I'm finding it weird to write because I keep going, why is this easy? Is Am I doing this thing wrong? <laughs> I haven't like torn my soul out today, ripped my heart out. Um, and then the next, I mean, I'm on a bit of a tight schedule, but the next unveil, uh, the next alchemy book is Unveil, which is Jen and Anton's story. And... I am actually I'm actually pretty nervous and I'm in that push-pull of like this could go like badly wrong like I could get myself into a real dark place here with this one um and when I mean dark I don't mean angst I mean like kink but um it's um (laughs) (laughs) the kind of the trope it's my first billionaire book in this series and it's I'm just kind of assuming that my reader's elasticity continues um and Jen's uh, Jen's a real um enigma because she's such a kind of Hitchcock blonde she's so glacial and perfect and in my head she's kind of like a mix between Betty Draper and um uh Rebecca from uh Ted Lasso and she's all pulled together and I think it's going to be really fun to undo her um and Anton I think is going to be a total twat um who I will have to find a 
going to be the most difficult male character. I was thinking about how difficult it's going to be to write his POV, actually. Um, so I'm excited. I'm, I'm scared, but excited. But I, I quite like the fear. I like the fear of going into these books. And again, it's I've got to give myself permission to just go where it takes me. Mm-hmm. Um, hasn't failed you yet. <laughs> thank you. Um, trust the process. And then, um, yeah, and then after that, I'm writing the second. So I have three more books out this year. After that, it's going to be the second Elgin book, which is my new billionaire series under Sarah Madison. It's going to be the Christmas billionaire, classy title. And I'm actually really excited to write that one. It's going to be it's going to be really fun. Um, and in my mind, the MC is actually basically Tom Ellis from Lucifer. Um, so, um, yeah, he's going to be very suave. Um, so that, that. And then I will and then I'm, I'm guessing that I will probably write Al's book next after that in the new year um and alchemy is not closed-ended I might write more I definitely want to write more under Elodie I it's going to be a case of kind of um how you know the the alchemy books are are like my most successful books ever by a mile like they're doing brilliantly um so and the, the feedback has been amazing so it'll kind of be a mix of a commercial decision and a mental health decision and <laughs> the dark glamorous stuff is like I don't see myself getting sick of that anytime soon. And I feel like I'm, I get bored easily. So pushing myself as a writer mm-hmm. is, is a, I'm trying different things is, is part of the fun, right? Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I see those two alchemy under Elodie and um, Elgin under, um, which is the name of a very fancy street in Notting Hill. Um, Elgin is going to be a very open-ended series because it's set in a like very, very fancy block of flats. So it can be, there can be a high turnover of residents. So yeah, let's see how we go. I am so excited about all of that. So I think we're all here for that. Uh, And I, (laughs) so anything you need, you know, our creators, we're, we're, you know, uh, but we're having you guys on my team. Thank you. You are so, you completely, you know, you guys and my other readers have just transformed the entire journey for me. Um, So I feel like I'm part of a team and I have this incredible, I feel very held by these amazing women who are like smart and warm hearted and funny and incredibly insightful and I, I feel very nurtured and supported by you all so thank you oh you're welcome thanks for having us along for the ride because it's it's been a ride it's been great <laughs> <laughs> but you know you're right and I, um Julie will will again put up her magic for your reader group because I have and I think the I think the audio recording for Unfurl started today I think he's doing <gasps> it today Ooh, I think oh we'll started recording that, when you put those names up I was like oh my god um I had like goosebumps and I was doing a little happy dance and it's Julie and Ron know I am like addicted to audiobooks now and there are narrators who I fangirl massively over um some of them when I've met them I don't even remember meeting them because I was just so in this <laughs> haze of oh my god and Wilbot's one of those where I have a feeling if I ever actually met him in person, I probably, Julie would have to remind me that it happened. Um, but, because <laughs> that's happened. Well, apparently he said to me that it's his first super dirty book that he's done in a really long time. So he's really excited. But also he and Kylie did a series of books indebted together. And he, and so he said they've got some really hardcore fans, but I have never, I've never come across those books before. So um, 
they're they're both very excited to be doing it together which is fun and awesome. you'll probably find a very different world opens up now that you're putting yeah. them into audiobooks <laughs> because audiobook fans um we can be a little rabid um about <laughs> wanting the next one and getting excited when we hear who's going to be doing the narration and picturing in our heads as we're rereading and so I'm super excited for you on that because that is another step that a lot of authors don't take is I never audio. I never thought it would happen I never could have done it on my own um it's it's so expensive to do it right I would either do it right or not at all it's um it's a super massive time suck I would have been like trying to cold call these narrators podium are like you know incredibly like a class act and they've been amazing so I am so grateful they bought the rights to the first three and then we'll see after that because I didn't even know how many books I was going to write so um, I love it. Well, you've got a phenomenal community surrounding you. Your reader group is fantastic. It's always very positive and welcoming and hilarious. And um, it's one of those that I jump on when I'm online and I'm like, oh, let's go seeing what's, let's go see what's happening in nerds. Uh, mm -hmm. Because it's, <laughs> there are a few reader groups that we spend a lot of time in uh, because they just feel, they feel safe. They feel comfortable and they bring more to the table than just you know, oh, I've read the book. There's a lot of nice discussion. So Julie will make sure that we link to your reader group. So uh, look out for more nerds uh, because <laughs> we are big enablers of uh, finding authors and, and um, guiding people in the way towards, <laughs> you have to come join this group with us. You have to come join the group. Uh, so, okay, we've got a, a, a rapid fire 10 questions. Oh, okay. um, I'm really so bad at thinking on the spot, by the way, just so you know. These are super easy, I promise. Okay. Julie's going to start and then Ron's going to finish. Go okay. for it. Flip flops or heels? I'm sorry, what? Flip flops or heels? Oh, heels. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Beachfront house or mountain cabin? Beachfront. Chocolate chip cookies or oatmeal raisin? Chocolate chip. This this is crazy. I don't even know why I'm asking this. Coffee or tea? <laughs> Rom-com or romantic suspense? Uh, Rom-com. Read the book or watch the movie? Read. City, city or country? City. Mood reader or planned TBR? Mood. Kindle or paperback? Kindle. Ooh. Very See, that was that easy. Was <laughs> Awesome. We always like to end on that because it's like, oh, well, now I know we have in common. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're like, oh, I like heels too. Uh, I'll be the one standing in my heels on, you know, the beach, my beachfront house in the south of France with my tea. <laughs> they laugh at me for my sparkly stilettos, but um, there, there's, there's a thing. It's a thing. So, Sarah, thank you, Sarah slash Elodie. so much fun. I loved it. For coming on with us. And um, anything you else you want to let folks know before we... I guess the nerds, my Facebook group is a lot of fun and it's developed a life of its own. I can't take credit for it, but the people on there are amazing and it is hilarious. And I share everything. I'm on there all the time, every day. It's really the only place I focus my time on Facebook. Um, and we do a lot of I do a lot of sneak previews. I ask you guys shamelessly for advice. There's a lot of like input into my books. It's it's um, it's very it's very much a kind of collegiate system, I think. So um, would love to have you guys um come and join if anyone isn't a member. Awesome. We'll make sure we link to that and to your books. We're looking forward to the next ones coming out. Um, and you know, jump on anytime. We'll probably touch base after the next couple of uh, books come out. Cool. And Thank you. Chat some more and. 
if you're going to be in the States at some point um, on the East Coast, <laughs> I know. let us know, uh, because yeah. I, it's, I know I'm hoping, I'm still hoping that this Scotland trip is going to happen for my husband, and that'll give me two weeks in the UK. Um, and I know that you are spoken for next year. You have, you're coming to the States for an event next year, I'm right? Doing Denver. Which, Denver. Excellent. And um, we're putting in dibs on you for 2025 okay. for Charm. Okay. Um, we would absolutely love to have you come to Charm. And if any of us can get to Denver next year, we might tackle hug you. Yeah. So you just. <laughs> Charm sounds amazing. Thank you. I'd love to. Awesome. So thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. Guys, thank, thank you for you. your support. It was so nice chatting mm -hmm. to you. You're welcome. Have, have a wonderful Bye -bye. evening. Thanks.